Welcome to the No Film School podcast. This is Gigi Hawkins. And this week I speak with Megan Ross, the writer, director, star, and creator of a short film called The Making of the Making of an Austin Short Film Masterpiece. I also speak with the short's editor, Lauren Page Saunders. And today's podcast is all about how to actually shoot a short film on an iPhone. Go out there and make something. We all have cameras in our hands. This is advice that we've been given over and over again on the podcast. But to actually shoot something on your iPhone is a little bit more complicated than it sounds. So in today's episode, we deep dive the logistics of doing this in a very short amount of time and the power of punchy editing. And now my interview with the team behind The Making of The Making of. Welcome, Megan and Lauren, the team of The Making of The Making of. Hello. Yeah. So good to be here. Thanks for having us. But uh, yeah, that, that's the, the short version of the title. Wait, what's the what's the long version again? It's the... The making of the making of an Austin short film masterpiece, which like does not fit into any like film festival like copy limitations. <laughs> so I'm just like the making of the making of. <laughs> I love both of them, but uh, there's something the making of the making of. I, I feel like I have this visceral thing with titles or names and like sometimes they just stick and get ingrained into me and I'll be like, I'm making this thing before I even know what the thing is, but it just has that title. So it feels like the making of the making of has become that in a way. Yeah, yeah. actually, that's exactly the description because we sort of like knew the title before we knew what would be in it. So yeah, tell us about the origin of this project. Like, how did it come to be? Yeah, so I was a woman at Sundance Adobe Fellow at 2020. One to twenty twenty no twenty twenty two to twenty twenty three I don't know it's all a blur and through that relationship Adobe reached out to work with me on like a promo video that they had for Sundance Film Festival so they got to know my work that way which was cool because like I had to send them like an audit of like all because it was like a, a promo video and and it was like a remote production so I basically just did like ADR and they paired it with like animation and graphics and pulled all of my projects, which was cool. So I like had to go through like years of my film projects and comedy show projects and sent them to that. So that's how they sort of got to know me as a creator beyond just the the fellowship, which came with grant money for my last short. Then they reached out to me and said that they're doing a third installment of the series called Voices of Our Community. This was like right before Christmas. And so basically the the pitch was that I have to film a project on an iPhone and deliver it within 30 days. So from like development to, you know, delivery of the asset and it's got to be around the theme of community. And I, which like that part was easy because I was like, great, like the Austin community, like I've been involved in the, the comedy scene, the activism scene, the indie film scene. And so I sent them a bunch of pitches before we like left for the holiday break. And they were really, really like compelled by this. Well, I think actually this, this concept was two concepts combined. 
But basically, I was like, well, we are doing this in like a really quick turnaround time. So I already knew like, we'll probably have to lean on some improv skills. And we also like, I like we just, it's just got to be flexible. Like we can't like, we got to be flexible with coverage and the final cut. So I was like, after my previous short film experience where it felt like I was so tied to a vision, I was ready to just like have fun and like fuck around basically. And so this short became that. Like it was very much inspired by my favorite types of mockumentary style comedies, Christopher Guest movies, shows like The Comeback and The Office and Parks and Rec. And so it was actually, I would say like, it was even though it was the least produced in terms of like we were limited to iPhones and had to like scramble to to prep a, a film in like a couple weeks, but it was like the most fun I had with the projects because because of those constraints they gave us. Yeah, that that fun comes through, and and I love all your work. I've been a fan of your work for a long time, but this one has this like very special place in my heart because it captures that like chaos and comedy and whim of just going out and making something and trying something and then it it works so well. And so I'd love to hear actually when Lauren you came on to the project as an editor knowing that one there would be this insane time constraint, two mm-hmm. there were these elements of uncertainty around the the improvised elements, the production question mm-hmm. marks, the you know it, the sort of like going against what I, yeah. I I think is like that Megan and I were both very like organized on top of it people, but like kind of letting go and then also mm-hmm. giving bringing in someone who's gonna then bring that all together and make it a story. So yeah, yeah. tell us about how you became involved. Yeah, so Megan got in touch with me pretty early in the process. I think we were starting to talk about like you know what the logistics would be with the iPhone and things like that because it's kind of important. You know, working with an iPhone instead of camera footage can be, it sounds easier, but sometimes it can be more challenging. So we were in touch about like a lot of the logistical stuff and making sure that we got, you know, it was going to be a big time crunch. We weren't going to want to have like pickups and things like that. So we wanted to make sure like nothing got missed. And, and, and yeah, so like we were already, you know, on set with the DIT Max Sherlock, we were already starting to bring things into Premiere, you know, pretty early on to start syncing things. And, you know, with iPhones, it's like, we're not going to have time codes. So Premiere is really helpful because you can just sync, you know, using audio and we were getting going like on set. So it was pretty early in the process and, and that made everything just go a lot faster, you know, in the editing process. How was it at, at like being on set? Usually there is that separation, but I'm sure it it helped you feel the vibe and the energy of mm-hmm. the chaos. Oh, organized so chaos. Fun. Yes, the organized chaos. It was it was so fun. I mean, I wasn't there the entire time, but the times that I popped in, I could tell everyone was just having a really good time and you know working. But it, it was a really fun set, and and it was it was nice to get the vibe and feel like you know, feel like I was sort of, you know, in the, on the team, not just kind of coming in after to, to work with stuff. So, you know, we had a really fantastic um, DP, EJ Enriquez. And so I knew that the footage was going to be really amazing and that we would 
I, I didn't have any like worries about sort of the editing itself. It was more just like making sure, you know, did we, did we get everything? Does the story make sense? Like, are we, are we saying what we want to say here? You know? Yeah. And remind me, how did you two meet? Yeah, go ahead, Megan. <laughs> Sorry, I always laugh because like all of my current like projects I work on for fun are sourced from like a lot of people that I like trauma bonded with over a tough day job. So like that was the case with Sanders and I. We were before the pandemic working for a local production company. Sanders was the po- you were the post production supervisor, supervisor, right? Mm-hmm. And then I was an account manager. So we worked alongside each other and then also a lot of the crew on set. So like our DIT Max, our friend Julie Keller, who who was an editor on Here to Make Friends, she we featured her band. Like we worked with all of it. EJ was a DP on two of my day jobs, like the agency before that. So we've all come together from like working on things that weren't as fun, but paid the bills. Yeah. So, and then Sanders was kind enough, like a while back, I think one of my last shorts that came out to reach out to say like, Hey, I'd love to work with you on something. Cause for me, it's, it's like working with people I know already helps. Cause I am not, I don't, I'm not technically trained. I didn't go to film school. So like, I really rely a lot on my department heads and in this project, especially like Lauren, like shaped this project. Like I didn't really know what it would look like until I saw the first edit. Because keep in mind, we also were filming on three iPhones <laughs> because we had three layers of BTS. Like that was part of the parody of it. So EJ was our main DP, Ileana Bocanegra. Another film friend of mine was additional photography. And then Adobe hired alongside me, Bita Kasemi, who is another Middle Eastern local Austin filmmaker, whose job was to actually be paid by Adobe to capture the BTS. But then we put all of those people like in the film. So there was like very little like differentiation between crew and short film crew. Like if you look at the credits, like I, lists like three different sets of crew. And there is a moment where like there there are credits inside of the short film. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is Which... one of my favorite moments. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. yeah. But you can't see them because they go by yeah. within like two seconds. <laughs> they go oh. really they go really fast, but I had one friend act I think slowed it down and I forgot what fake credits I put in there to to give Lauren and what was that movie with what's that that like intense music composer Tar? Tar. So I like someone commented like <laughs> Lydia Tar because I forgot I put her as like fired music supervisor. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. So like I appreciate if anyone wants to slow down and actually take time to read it, like that's a good Easter egg. There's some jokes. Easter eggs. Yeah. That's that's incredible. Well, let's use this actually to talk about communication style because mm-hmm. I I talk a lot to my friends about how specifically Megan Ross's communication style <laughs> period is one of my favorite in the world. You send the best emails. You cl- communicate so clearly, but also so humanly. Is that kindly and yeah. brightly and smartly? Sure. Like so many good things. I'm not AI. <laughs> you're, you're not AI and you're so true to your voice. And also like, I just... 
I usually I get anxiety over email, but I see your emails and mm-hmm. they come in and it'll be like updates on projects in your career. And, and I'm like, yes, like this is going to be a good read. And, and so like with that foundation, I, I can only assume that when you're working with department heads, whether it's over phone, email conversation, like you are bringing that collaboration and that spirit as well. So I'd love to hear like specifically the director editor communication is so like intimate towards the end. You guys are in the weeds together, but like talk to me about how you guys communicated and worked together in this post process. Yeah, I'll, I'll start. I mean, uh, Megan's really great to work with because I feel like a lot of times when you're in the post-production room, you're kind of at the whims of the director, more like pressing buttons, kind of like they don't necessarily trust you to, to be the, to like be the funny one, you know? And so it was cool to have sort of like take my own stab at it and, and be like, this is what I think, you know, we should do. And I think like, while we made a lot of changes, obviously a lot of iterations, I don't think it strayed super far from like what we originally kind of came up with. And I think like going back and forth with Megan, like was the thing that was easy was just us being able to like trust each other. Like I, it's like, did you see this clip of, you know, do you remember the take where this, this happened? You know, it's like, or she's like, I I believe you that that's the funniest version of this scene. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and so it just helps a lot whenever you feel like, you know, someone we're friends, so it's, it's easier, Mm -hmm. but just helps a lot when you feel like that person trusts you kind of trusts your like vision and your storytelling abilities. But yeah. What do you think, Megan? Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, I, you know, from my first short, cause my first short was shot in Austin and the, and this most recent one was too. So like I work with a lot of the same people. It was the first time Lauren and I were working on like a fun project together, but like, I, I really like let people tell me, like what their best recommendation is, especially because I don't know some of those things. Like I, I know comedy the most because that's like what I was trained in. But in terms of like, like the, the exact sort of like timing of the edit or transition to be the funniest version of like that sequence, like that's going to be on like Lauren to, to dictate, especially like going through all of that footage. And uh, so, so yeah, we were communicating. I was like, what would be the best way? Uh, also, because it was the first time I was shooting with iPhone. So like, you know, Lauren recommended like, let's get a DIT to organize, spend the first couple days going through the footage. Like, so we worked with my friend Max who had been DIT on my previous shoots. And so I really like would just like ask the question, like you tell me what would make your job easier especially because we had like this insanely aggressive post timeline. And I will also add, like we finished, we were finalizing post-production in the middle of the second Texas freeze. So like Lauren lost electricity. I lost electricity. Bita, who is delivering a separate set of assets of BTS for Adobe lost electricity. Like we were all scrambling and like running to friends' houses to like finish finish up the final export which is so funny looking back because then they like waited a while before they premiered it but yeah like we really it was like trust constant communication this is sort of how i always run my sets anyway and i'm i i like keep my producer hat on the whole time so 
at, I was the sole producer on this because of, it was such a quick, I was like, I can't force any of my other friends into like having to, to adhere this. to this. Also, Especially you were the like, star of it. Like we forgot to mention that. Well, that, that was like, that also was an easy choice for me. Cause I was like, this, I'm not going to put anyone through having to like remember lines and such like everything was just so quick that I, I was like, these are the most important people roles I need to fill. And then I will handle like being my own first AD, which <laughs> got me in trouble a little bit, but yeah, like it was just like, I, I, I needed to just know that like the friends I was working with were knew what, what the fuck they were doing. Even when I was like really unsure of things because of the the improv of it all. Yeah. Well, actually, would you be open to sharing the what got you in a little bit of trouble as AD? Safe <laughs> yeah, space. So, Safe space as yeah. in all the people who are listening in right now. Yeah. I mean, it, w- it was definitely like a lesson for me, but also like dealing with a, loca- a location contact who was unfamiliar with how sets are run. So basically what happened, we were lucky that our locations were donated to us. So that was like one less expense we had to deal with. And I didn't really, like, I forgot the fact that like, if I'm like, we were filming in a conference room and that meant all the extras were like hanging out, the extras in the crew were hanging out outside and I'm inside as the director, the producer and the talent. So I had no idea what was going on outside. Now, our crew, our crew was behaving fine, but the, the the location contact was being really like rude and and disrespectful to them. And like, if like I usually have another body, like a producer or a first AD, that would be handling that while while I'm in a scene or directing. Mm -hmm. And I forgot like that would be me. Yeah, It's like, if I'm in the shot, like, I don't know what's going on outside. So I couldn't protect them. Um, But I use my communication skills. Gigi, you would love this. I think I might've sent you the, the email because basically I was like, they, that contact then told her manager a different story of what went down. And I talked to everyone on set to understand exactly what went, what happened because I wasn't there and like documented it all and then sent an email to like, cause they were going to try to charge us for the location and like go back on. And so I was like, actually your person was the unprofessional one. And like, and then they never responded. So I was like, guess it was a good email. That's good. It <laughs> yeah. was. Oh my gosh. But that, that taught me like, I need another body, even if it's like a, a tight, like, you know, low, low budget indie thing. Like I have to have someone outside if I'm going to be acting or directing to in like a closed space. Totally. Now, what did, this is like a more production prep question, but with so much improv involved, what did the actual schedule look like? You know, were you, did you know that you had these blocks of times? Did you shot list everything before? Was something that's like, again, more more improvised how mm-hmm. how do you I, I think of like we're coming off of theater camp that's in theaters now, which was like most mm-hmm. partially improvised. I'm like, how what does that tangibly look like for somebody who's trying to plan? Yeah. So this is where I leaned a lot on EJ. EJ had shot my previous short earlier that summer. So I had already experienced like him being very involved in in the prep work of setting up shots. And we didn't have time to sh- to really 
shotless. I also like didn't have a first AD. So like, th- like there was just so many things that I had to just like fly by the seat of my pants or, or, or like all of us. And so we, we went to the locations and like framed up spots, but that didn't matter because day of, we ended up having to like move around and that, that location that was being feisty with us, we had to wrap it earlier than intended and then go film on my patio, which wasn't planned. And, and so like, we just like, we just had to stay flexible. And so there, it wasn't as rigorous as it would normally be where I like do the shot list, review it with the first AD and the DP and, and ask them if this is realistic. It was really like, Hey, let's, this is an idea of where we'll be filming. And this is an idea of some of the scenes we'll get. But I told EJ, I'm like, I want to, we're going to be finding the funny. So like, we just have to know that we're going to veer from, from what's planned. And everyone knew that, like that the talent, a lot of them were improv people and comedians and stuff. And so even the, the talent that wasn't had a comedy background, like being dead, the band featured in it, (laughs) they were like my favorite part. Very funny. Yeah. (laughs) So funny. So like, I think because everyone knew what to expect, which is you don't know what to expect, then it, it just became easy for people to like just pivot, I guess, Yeah, in, in the moment. I want to talk about specifically finding the funny, both on set when you're shooting and then how that ultimately translated into the edit. So maybe pick one of your favorite moments. You two get to decide mm-hmm. which one and then let's unpack it. Yeah. Mm. What's your favorite? I like the beginning. Yeah, I... Well, it's funny because the Being Dead sequence cracked me up so much. We actually... There is an Adobe marketing executive who got his panties in a bunch a little bit. And so we have like a funnier take that we had to like kind of water down. I have it in the director's cut if anyone wants the link. But yeah, the beginning is actually... Because there was the most improv and when we were coming up with the, the ideas for the short... And so Chinwe Okuri, who's my script supervisor on all my shorts, like she pitched a really funny idea that that like involved Max as our like token white male of the, of the room. And like like everyone was like coming up with really funny things based on what we were saying because it was all just like Austin centric, silly, you know, satire. And so that was fun, a fun moment of finding the funny because I didn't write anything in there under the section of like, okay, come up with ideas. So yep. that was just like us kind of winging it. Nice. Yeah. And how did that translate into the edit? Yeah, I mean, for so for the being dead scene, I think maybe we should unpack that one a little bit because it's a little, that one was super funny and my one of my favorite things I've ever edited, but also kind of challenging because, you know, they're not only improvising what they're saying, but they're also improvising their music a little bit. So mm-hmm. we've got the music behind a lot of the dialogue, like they did a really good job of sort of pausing and giving breath for like the edit. I think they were, I think Mm -hmm. Julie is aware of this because she works in film as well. And and so, but it was, you know, a little challenging to kind of make it sound organic. Like, you know, they're just there. These ideas are just popping up into their head and the music is flowing like, you know, in the background. So chopping everything up was a little bit of a, an exercise, but it was, it was fun because I think, I don't know, for me, I like to be challenged in terms of editing. I like when stuff isn't just laid out there for me and I kind of have to figure it out and like, it's like a puzzle. So 
that that is a really fun scene. The first scene is with the, all of the improv on the idea for the actual short actually is, is funny to me because you can tell that, you know, first of all, it's so entrenched in like Austin <laughs> scene jokes, but it's also just, you can tell that they're really improvising a lot of it. And the stuff that comes out of their mouth is just gold. Sometimes I, I really like, you know, girlhood, all female reboot and boyhood word. Yeah. So let's talk about tools that you love. And maybe some mm-hmm. you you love to hate mm. in post, and then we'll I we can also talk about prep tools that you love for tracking Megan mm-hmm. as well. And so when you say, and you're talking generally, not just for this short, right? Yeah, yeah. As an editor, yeah. And then you know we always like to get into what you know if somebody's like, I live and die by my Google Calendar, or mm. you know the cut hotkey. Oh yeah. I'm a, I'm really big. I mean, I've been editing, actually started editing in Premiere when I was 16 and that's a long time ago. But so I've been using like Adobe products and Premiere forever. So I kind of feel really comfortable in it. For me, it's like the, the shortcuts. Okay. So if, if you're an editor and you don't like just extremely hack your shortcuts out. I don't, then I don't know if you, you know, should be, should be going any further before you examine this because it's, it's really helpful. It just allows you to go a lot faster. You know, like I think when you're at the computer for a really long time, as we are as editors, that mousing can get like really annoying. So it's nice to be able to go super fast. And I've, I've just noticed like my performance, like it, my productivity is just up because I'm just like, flying through editing and that just gives me more time to like pay attention to the story and like what yeah what i you know what what's actually the content that i'm actually trying to get out there so it's helpful to to kind of make this software your own i guess you know Mm -hmm. on the note of hotkey self-care are you are you always looking for like to add a new one or are you talking at the water cooler with your editor friends and saying, Oh my God, you got to try this new tool or new product. Like it's, it's this constant improvement. Yeah. Well, yeah, honestly, well, the cool thing about it is that pretty much anything that you want to do in the program can be a shortcut. And so it just depends. It keeps changing. It's like, what am I doing all the time? A lot of time, this is really geeking out, but a lot of times I'm, just copying all of the like attributes from one place to another. And instead of like right clicking and going through all the stuff, like I, I watch people do and it makes me a little crazy, you know, just make a shortcut and eventually your brain just gets, just starts to get used to that kind of stuff, but it's changing all the time. So definitely constantly updating them, talking to people about, you know, I have a friend who does them, who uses them all the time and she even is faster than me. I think she's using you know, a hotkey for every single thing she does. So it's, it's definitely updating all the time, making sure that you're, you know, the tools that you use the most are the most available to you quickly. It, it seems like when you have all the hotkeys set up, you're, you're writing, you're, I mean, I know we're editing, but here you are writing, telling the story and like moving at the pace of, you know, Megan and I, when we're in final draft. So totally. I love like that. Sculpting. It's like, 
totally. you know, it's like you're taking this block and just taking everything away that does, that you don't need. And when you're done, you know, it might not be exactly what you imagined, but it's something really good. Hopefully, you know, I love that. Now, this is a question that I should be asking all editors and I don't know why I haven't, but why it's coming to me right now. Maybe it's because editor self-care. How do you have your setup like from an ergonomics perspective? Like how many screens do you have? Yeah, so I work sometimes in an office and then sometimes from home. So I'll just talk about my home office because that's that's what my my ideal. I'm sitting, you know, in the living room right now, but right, but I generally I'm in my office and I have a standing desk because I know a lot of editors have trouble with back problems and I had back problems for a while. So I started standing. It's just helped me like move around more and not stay in one spot. And I also elevate my my screens. I have two screens and I elevate them so that my head doesn't, you know, have to sort of hold up my neck doesn't have to hold up my head looking down. And yeah, you have to you have to set yourself up for success. So you have to make sure that you are gonna be comfortable for a really long time you know, doing something and you need to take walks and you need to take breaks. I really believe that. Yeah. Charles Hain, our, our no film school co-host when, when I first took his editing class, when I was in film school and dropped before I dropped out, he wrote into his contracts time to go for a walk. It was like required for him. And it's so important to be aware of that. Even if you're working like in any capacity, no matter the scope of the project, you need that. Right. Anyone, everyone needs it, you know, because mm-hmm. staying in one spot, no matter if it's standing, sitting, doing the splits, it's not, it's <laughs> not good for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about you, Megan? What are your, your tools of choice? I have just such a like organization crush on you. So I, and creative crush on you. So like, I just need to get all the goods, hear all the things. Yeah, my, mine are like less exciting because it's just like a lot of like just producer stuff. And, and I don't even have the fancy software that most like full-time producers do. But because like I have a day job and I do all of my indie work and, and, and comedy shows and films producing on this side, hoping one day it could be full-time. So the like the Google suite, I just depend on um, every time I start a new project I like create an, a folder for that project. I like duplicate if I'm going into production for it. I'll like duplicate all the folders over that I need. A, you know my budget sheet, or if it's just for like a, sc- a screenwriting project, then like I duplicate like all the ones I need for like writing development. And I use Writer Duet currently for solo projects, and also I'm like co-writing a feature, and that's been really helpful for co-writing because you can see your your co-writers markups and and it's just like more um it's like easier for partners that i've found versus final draft but like i started out on final draft and writer duet i also like because it's it it's it, you can also access it like online as well as desktop so like you don't like i use the on, online version because it's kind of like a google doc where it's like a live doc and i can see my co-writer working in there at the same time but yeah, it's like Google Sheets, Google Docs, Google Slides. I know Adobe won't love me saying this because they have their own version of this, but for like distribution stuff, like I use Canva for like when I pre pandemic, when I was hosting comedy shows, I was using Adobe Photoshop for everything. 
but I'm not a designer. So like I needed something that was a little bit quicker and, and templatized. So Canva is what I use for like, you know, promoting or creating assets when we're in like distribution phase of the project. But yeah, it's like, I, I have to like have a, a like track record or like a, a paper trail digital paper trail. I just like, there's like fear deep inside me of losing anything. And so like that, like, that's why, like I told Lauren, I was like, what, how, like, how are we going to plan out DIT? Because, because it was three phones and, and then we also use the software to make it a little bit more cinematic. And like, I'm just always so nervous that my first short, the, the DP who was wonderful filmed on 8k and I didn't know what that meant. So like I have like oh, from the very beginning like com- like footage breaking my DIT or producers computers like that worries me and then like not you know in in those instances I couldn't watch any of the clips so I really had to trust that we were getting everything but yeah those are my go to for just be like staying on top of stuff I am curious about the the iPhone app that you use to make it more cinematic because, you know, the, all the advice we get on this podcast, like whether you're Chris McKay or, you know, insert the the DP of the White Lotus, <laughs> they're all like, well, you can film on an iPhone. Oh, and yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. And? Sure. I, that, I think it's really funny. I mean, I know Adobe's intention with the project. I think it's really geared towards young filmmakers too, where it's like, you can make something without having like a red or an Ari, like mm-hmm. easily available to you. And I totally get that. And like a lot of my comedy friends do like make their, they're like one people shops of like, they shoot film edit and do it all on their phone. But so that this was meant to be like, Hey, young filmmakers, you can make something of quality on your phone in a short time frame. Us being more, a little bit more experienced in the film scene, like we're like, Oh, damn like because like my dp was like like they weren't ecstatic about it i would just say it it didn't it wasn't as easy as you would think especially because like the bar for us is higher every time we make a short and and just like at the stage in our career so like it was challenging and like we had the new iphones i i had just gotten my upgrade but it still isn't like, you know, a cinema camera. So we used Filmic Pro, I believe. I just Googled and I deleted off my phone. Yeah, Filmic Pro. So that was recommended. And EJ also recommended a bunch of different like tools. We had like a tripod. I think I have it like written down because I'm I'm like going to sell them soon. But yeah, we had had, like, there was like some, uh, a B&H phone tripod adapter. We had a gimbal. Like we had like all, we basically like, got everything that would support filming specifically on an iPhone and knowing that like, this isn't like the typical, like go to the Austin, you know, gear rental house and say, Hey, do you have a tripod for iPhones? Like, yeah. Yeah. Get out of here influencer, you know? Yes. But, uh, yeah. yeah. So, so that's sort of that. It was really great to like, it felt like a problem to solve. Yeah. Like all of our, our many DPs on the project <laughs> were all like, very you know and then same with like the post team like max and sanders just like figuring out like how best to transfer everything and organize everything especially because there are like three batches of footage Mm -hmm. from three different iphones oh my gosh it's it's dizzying thinking about it but again it's like dizzying in the most delightful way watching it that's so, Mm -hmm. so part of the comedy and and i love this 
this film. I'm so happy that you guys are sharing these nitty gritty details. As we wrap up here, what advice do you have for emerging filmmakers, folks who are just getting their start? Mm-hmm. I still feel Silence. like I'm emerging. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. For, I'm for forever emerging. Mm-hmm. I, I think for me, it was starting out and doing a, doing a thing that you kind of have a little bit of a knack for. Like start out with the thing that you know you can do. And then if you want to be a director later, you know, then you get all of this lovely experience sort of on set or in the world that you probably wouldn't get if you just tried to, you know, be the big guy like right off the bat. So in some ways it's like go with what you know a little bit, but then feel free to like explore outside of that. Like I'm about to direct a film. I've I've been editing forever and I didn't feel comfortable enough to do it until now. So, you know, it's like, it'll get, you'll get there, but, you know, focus on the stuff that you can sort of like feel like you are, you know, able to own, you know? That's great advice. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Cause I, yeah, I didn't start up directly. I actually had no intention to direct. And I asked my friend, Sam Berger, who was like, introduced me to the, you know, all my contacts and the, Austin film scene for that first project I asked them to direct and they were like no you're gonna do it like there's all these mediocre white men doing it and and feeling more empowered like so I started as a writer then a producer and and kind of with the writer the performer so directing was like sort of the last thing I took but I would say my advice is to like lose the ego because I feel like there's just director like when i realized how film like how something got made and finished i was like oh the director does nothing like like just like humble yourself because there's so because with this project especially i was like lauren like found the funny like we put a bunch of stuff and threw it at a wall and like i was like so happy with the first cut and and that was huge because we had like one week to lock it but like I would say is just like, like, it's a collaborative, it's a collaborative experience. You have to learn that. Like, it's, you know, I think of it when, when standups try to do improv, it's like, you need to be like working with other people. You are not the sole person talking. You're not the only person we're paying attention to. Like you need, like you're sharing this work on stage with this team of people. You're sharing the failures and you're sharing the wins. So I would say like lose the ego and yeah, like also because it's like you, your reputation is really important in this industry. Like I only work with people like I love and trust. And if there's an asshole I know of, like they're going on my blacklist. Like I'm not, you know, like that's important to me is to like work with people who have as much fun as, you know, I'd like to. It helps that they're comedy sets. So and not like depressing dramas. So yes, sorry. Yes. sorry to the dra- dramaturgs out there, whatever. <laughs> well, thank you both so much for joining. And I'll explain to our listeners in the outro how they can watch the short, which is in the notes or in the article of what you're listening to. But it's so worth watching. It's one of my favorite things of this whole year. Thank and you, we'll have you back. We'll have you back. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you.
Thank you so much, Megan and Lauren, for joining us on the podcast and for taking us on the wild ride of making this very funny, very smart in such a short amount of time. I've been following Megan's work for a long time. She's very involved in the creator community. She's actually the head of creator success at Seed and Spark, where she oversees crowdfunding and education. And I'm always impressed with her ability to create opportunities to bring people together to make movies. She's always making things. She's always creating. She's always putting herself out there. And her hard work is paying off in her career. I think she's a great example of someone who doesn't wait for somebody to be giving her an opportunity. She creates it herself. Thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in. You can get more No Film School at nofilmschool.com. You can also like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. Let us know what you thought of today's episode. Did you learn anything that you are going to be applying to your short or your sketch that you're about to go make? And tune in tomorrow for an interview with the team behind the new horror film, Birth Rebirth. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.